0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the Ohio Agronomy Roundup. I'm your host, Bushel Billy, and joining me today is agronomist Roy Ulrich. Roy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bill. Sure thing. Now, Roy, you and I have worked together for quite a while now, but for our listeners that haven't had a chance to meet you, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, so uh, I'm the Decalba Asgro TA. I cover the,
1: uh, so the southern part of Ohio, so we kind of split Ohio northwest to southeast, um, so kind of a diagonal line going from Fort Wayne down through Columbus, uh, down to Jackson. Everything south and west of that, uh, I cover from a Decal Basgro perspective. Uh, This will be my fifth
0: uh, harvest with Decal Basgro. Excellent, excellent. Well, welcome to the show. And today we're going to focus on corn, uh, one of our favorite crops here in the state of Ohio. So looking back on the season to date, why don't you give us a quick summary of what you saw as far as the growing season across the state.
1: Yeah, so the uh, the growing season in Ohio can be, uh, this year can be summed up pretty uh, easily in one word and its uh, variation. So we had a lot of variation throughout the state, um, mainly with the one big key, key driver being moisture. Um, and it's really the state set up for the have and have nots this year. So we've got areas that have got, uh, maybe not ample moisture, but at least have got some timely rain and crop looks pretty good. And some guys are looking to have some phenomenal yields. Then unfortunately on some other parts of the state, we've had areas where guys just have missed have missed out on some rain, missed out on timely rain, and we're going to run into, into fall going into a, into a fairly short crop for some areas. So it's all over the board, um, tends to vary quite a bit uh, from one part of the state to the other, and even within some areas, township to township can be quite different on uh, rainfall events.
0: Well, that's for sure. I know as I travel uh, the interstates east and west, north to south, it, it seems to change by the mile in some counties. Now, some areas experienced dry weather early in the growing season. Others had adequate moisture early, Turn has turned dry here late. As we do pre-harvest scouting or even from the combine cab, what are some of the differences that we would see versus a dry spell early, a dry spell late? You know, of course, if it was dry all summer, we know what that's going to look like. But are there differences that we can see at harvest? Yeah,
1: so on, on corn, you know, it really depends on what kind of stress that crop was under. So if it was super early and we had a lot of stress, you know, that V5, V6 time frame, you could see, you know, fewer kernels around than average um, for for a hybrid so if it's a hybrid that typically throws a lot of 18s and 20s if we got a lot of stress early could be uh you know 14 15 or 14 16s around so we can lose some rows around early um i don't think much of the state was under that much stress during that period of time so probably chrono rows around even in some areas that were dry we probably have sufficient uh, chrono rows around the big issue with that early stress was that uh, early july time frame where we had some areas going through pollination and trying to pollinate in really dry conditions and, and some pretty hot temperatures as well. So early stress during that time frame, you'll see a lot of tip back, uh, a lot of corn over abortion or some zipper ears um, where we just didn't have successful pollination due to due to drought stress. So that's probably the, the a big chunk of areas, especially as we've moved kind of farther north in the state. Uh, that area was kind of hit that early July time frame with some issues. We got some corn up there that's uh, unfortunately was about, you know, Five, six feet tall when I was trying to tassel, and that's not, not really ever good. The late stress, uh, especially we go into that R late R4, early R5 time frame. That stress really has to do more with kernel depth and kernel size. So if you do kernel kernel counts, you know, your number never rose around in your length. That late stress, you still might have a decent number of kernels, but you may have kernel sizes that, you know, instead of using 85 or 90 on average, we may have some stuff that's you know closer to that 100,000, 110,000 kernels per bushel. So that late stress
0: is probably has more an impact on overall kernel size. So let's unpack that a little bit. When we do yield calculations, everybody understands population, rows around length, and the, the denominator of that calculation, the 90,000 almost seems to be just a factor that you put in that magically produces a yield estimate. What does that 90,000 represent, and does it really vary that much uh, from hybrid to hybrid or field to field, year to year? Yeah, so that that
1: 90,000 is is kernels per bushel. So on on average, you know, an average rainfall year, average hybrid, you're going to average about 90,000 kernels to make one bushel. So, you know, we can get some pretty big swings. Swing. So there are hybrids in years where we've had kernel sizes, you know, 65,000. We also had hybrids in years, say 2012, we were really dry, where we had kernel sizes that are 120, 125, so some really small kernels. So we actually can get a pretty wide variation in kernel size, and that denominator, a lot of us don't think about it um, when we're talking about corn yield, but that thing really drives a lot of yield, and has has a lot of uh, disparity um, when we when we look at final yield. So trying to pin down that number, it's hard to uh, to walk out in, in a field and say, all right, this this year has got, you know, kernels on it that are 85,000. Um, but if you think about the growing season in general, you can kind of probably land on a number that is a, a is a good estimate. We also have uh, quite a bit of variation within the field this year. So if we got some areas that have a lot of elevation change, probably don't hold a lot of water real well late in the season. In that area, probably have some kernels that are a lot smaller than some of the higher OM, um, better water home capacity areas of the field. So. We may have variation across the landscape this year in kernel size that we typically maybe not see
0: quite as drastic so let's let's stay with the theme of kernel size and grain fill and you know a lot of times we get to this time of year we pretty much figure the crop is made Uh, right now we're sitting at at r5 across most of the state how important is r4 r5 into R6 as far as grain fill and maybe just start reminding us what those growth stages are and what that means and how influential the R5 growth stage could be to final year yield. Yep. So R5 in
1: itself is dent. So we're getting you know, a lot of, a lot of our, especially early make planted corn is getting to that dent phase. Um, and when you look at grain filling and corn, that dent phase is what really drives that that kernel size. So. We get to dent. Um, doesn't matter how much stress we put on a plant at that point in time, we're not going. We're not going to lose kernels around, or we're not going to lose length. So those numbers are set. But that kernel size factor is all made during dent, and the uh, the healthier plant is, and the more favorable weather conditions we have during dent, the more we can drive kernel size and get that number smaller and smaller. So it's very important. A lot of times, you know, growers and, and even some agronomists like myself, we walk out in the field and we get to dent, and you're like sweet we made it what we've got you know we're going to get into harvest but uh, we've got a lot of grain fill left to go at the be- at the very end of r4 beginning of r5 we still got about 55 percent of that kernel weight to be added so if you think about the last 30 days of grain filling corn you're actually adding 55 percent of your yield so it's a super important um, time for a corn plant uh, the nice thing about a corn plant is it's pretty good about Remobilizing nutrients, remobilizing moisture, getting it from lower in the plant into the ear. So, we've got a little bit of a safety factor there. But the more favorable the weather that we've got um, during this
0: last 30 days, can have a huge impact on what our final yields going to be. Now, a statistic that I saw earlier, I thought was just amazing that between R4 and R6, a corn plant will nearly double its biomass you don't have to be a really good agronomist to know that the plant's not getting any bigger. So all that weight is coming in the ear. Is that true when you get into those later reproductive stages that the biomass going in that ear will nearly double the biomass of the entire plant as we go through grain fill?
1: Yep. Yeah. So so a lot of the biomass, if you, if you figure on a um, pounds per acre, or tons per acre standpoint, is in the ear. And, you know, we guys that do silage think about that a lot, you know, so where they're looking for, uh, for as many tons per acre as they can get, and you need a product that's gonna have really good grain yield because that drives a lot of that uh, mass or that tonnage per, per acre. Roach crop guys, you know, traditional corn grain guys, maybe don't think about it, but yeah, we're adding a lot of weight and a lot of biomass late into the season. So again, anything um, that we can get uh, to improve that late season plant health, improve that uh, the fertility on those
0: plants late season can help drive that uh, that biomass accumulation. Let's shift gears for a second and talk about insect pressure this growing season. I know we've heard reports of western bean cutworm being a problem in the northern part of the state in the past. Uh, Root worm is always a big question mark in people's mind year over year. Uh, if we look at those two pests or any others, what has the insect pressure been like across the state this growing season?
1: Yep, so we'll, uh, we'll start, start on the one there that, uh, that you mentioned on a positive note being western bean cutworm. Um, we look at Ohio State's traps um, throughout the state on western mean cutworm, we're extremely low this year. Um, so western mean cutworm populations, we didn't have those big huge moth moth flights, so we didn't have um, all those eggs being laid into into our cornfields in the north. So western mean cutworm populations are, are low for this year. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a annual pest that we, uh, we have to watch those moth flights to try and um, determine if it's going to be an issue or not. This year the nice thing is those numbers were fairly low. Even as we move west um, across, like, Indiana, those numbers were lower than they've been in the past. Now, you move move west, and we've got some counties in, in northern Indiana that did spike up and have higher catches than we did here. But for the majority of the state of Ohio, numbers were on western mean cutworm were really low. So it's a good, uh, a positive aspect from that standpoint. The one that's a shifting and, and changing dynamic would be corn rootworm beetle, um, or corn rootworm populations in general. Uh, it's a pest that I know there's a lot of people in the eastern Corn Belt the last several years that said, pest is extinct. doesn't exist anymore. You don't need to worry about corn rootworm. Um, We've moved to a lot of products that are traded either only above ground or not traded at all because guys aren't worried about corn rootworm beetle anymore. I can tell you the the weather pattern that we got into in late May early June was really favorable for corn rootworm larvae hatch survivability um, and those populations are starting to skyrocket in some areas pretty quickly. We move into the into the west central part of the state. I've got some traps out at, at our um, kind of a research farm. I've caught about five times as many corn rootworm beetle this year across a ten week period of time as I have in the last four. Fivefold. Yep, fivefold. So numbers are going up. Um, I move over into Mercer County. Got some uh, some calls over there earlier this year on some root lodging corn, um, on some products that. We're starting to root lodge corn rootworm beetle were an issue Um, but then like i moved south and and west a little bit to where i live and my populations at home my trap trap numbers were fairly low so it's pocketed Um, i'm not saying it's going to be every acre for the 2021 growing season but populations are on the rise and if we have a favorable weather condition you know so dry conditions in may of 2021 and early june of 2021 2022 could be a a big corn rootworm year again so it's one that you need to get out and start scouting some fields. We're getting to the to the time of year where even in soybeans, those things are starting to, uh, they're starting to get to the end of their life cycle as far as laying eggs and, and seeing beetles. So um, if you haven't been out and seen them, it's something to keep an eye on as we move forward. But they're definitely not extinct. And, uh, and I'll continue to say mother nature will always win. They're uh, eventually corn rootworm will be back in the state of Ohio and, uh,
0: with a vengeance. So let's let's tease that out just a little bit further. You mentioned that the weather patterns for this year have been favorable to the corn rootworm beetles and that we've seen a spike in population. Over the last five years in the state of Ohio, we've gone from 90% below ground protection in our corn crop all the way down about 15% below ground protection in our corn crop. That's a lot of acres without the rootworm traits in them. Certainly uh, something to be revisited when we're buying seed corn this fall. But what, whether what was so different about 2020 that enabled these populations to to spike back up, and what are we looking for in 2021 to see if that trend will continue or the populations will go back down? The really critical period of time for corn rootworm larvae survivability is
1: is right after hatch, so they typically hatch um, depending on where you're at in the state and depending on temperature, somewhere around that you know last week of May through the first couple of weeks of June. Um, That's when they when they start to hatch, and if corn rootworm larvae hatch and it's really saturated, so if we get some big two three inch rainfall events last part of May first part of June, and the and the soil is flooded and completely saturated, they simply can't find corn root so they can't feed and they just they starve and die out. Um, So if you think about it, a really wet end of May first part of June probably has more efficacy on corn rootworm larvae than any trait. That we've ever brought to market for them, so it's a really devastating event. And you think about the springs of 2019, 2018, 2017, even going back. So we've got we've got three or four years stacked together where we've been really wet during that time, and so Mother Nature has naturally suppressed that pest for us. Flip to 2020, super dry that period of time, and so the eggs that were out there that hatched, pretty easy, found corn roots, got stuff to feed on, and so those the survivability numbers were really high. So again, if we get really wet in that period of time frame for 2021, we might not even be talking about them again next year. But if we're really dry, that period of time for for 2021 next year when we do these uh, these season wraps up wrap ups, I guarantee you we'll be talking about corner worm
0: even more than we are today. Okay, certainly something to keep an eye on. Now, if we look back 30 days ago, there were parts of the state that looked like a World War II movie with planes dropping out of the sky spraying fungicide all over the place so now that we have the benefit of hindsight looking back into the growing season what do the disease pressure look like across the state yeah so the
1: the the one disease that uh, is annually a problem in the state of Ohio is gray leaf spot 2020 I would I would call it probably average um, for gray leaf spot for us we've got some some areas where we've caught some moisture and so it Really favored that pathogen to drive forward and really move up to the plants fairly quickly. We've got other areas that are really short on moisture, and so gray leaf spot's out there, but it probably hasn't caused a whole lot of uh, true yield damage yet. So it really depends on on where you're at. And the areas that have moisture and those guys that sprayed, it's uh, it's undoubtedly was a good good investment. And it's uh, when you look at fungicide applications for gray leaf spot, hindsight's always the best way to look at it. When we went into those times where we need to make those applications, we started catching some moisture for a lot of us and the pathogen was out there. So it was probably the right call to make. But Greeley spot overall, you know, it's, it's kind of pocketed with moisture, but I would call it an average year. Certainly wasn't an epidemic year like we had in like 2018.
0: Certainly, certainly. Well, for those that have uh, treated the crop with fungicide in a tassel application, what are some of the tertiary benefits to that crop as we've seen the hot, dry weather—we've got pockets of drought across the state. Are there additional benefits beyond the suppression of foliar disease?
1: Yeah, um, definitely are. You know, when you think about uh, making that application, not only does it does it uh, suppress disease, but also helps with stock quality and stock health late into the season. So, anything, anytime we can improve sustainability as we get closer to harvest is a is a big, um, big improvement and an added gain. The other piece is a lot of those um, fungicides will have some some respiratory um, improvement on them so they improve um, respiration efficiency so we've got some gains there especially when we're we were really hot at night um, in some areas that probably added some yield and had some gains there as well so there's a lot more um, added
0: benefit to fungicide other than disease um, and so we probably got some pretty pretty good uh, improvement there as well Well, anything that can help release that heat stress and drought stress (laughs) late in the season, right? So all of that being said, here we sit the first week of September. Uh, The combines are in the shop. We're putting them together, getting ready to go. Guys are getting antsy. The elevators are already calling uh, for some early activity. So what is the harvest outlook for the state of Ohio as we start to dive into harvest season?
1: Yeah, so it's going to be, like I said earlier, it's going to be pretty varied right i mean we had uh really the northern part of the state probably got out uh, if you look in that northwest corner um probably got out ahead of just about everybody else in the state which is completely different than 2019 right a lot of those guys just never got a crop out last year so they got out to a a really fast start um, which was nice for them unfortunately they didn't catch a lot of rain late so that area is probably going to be going to be a little bit uh a little bit short and as we move south especially if you get uh south of 70 south of uh you know ohio 35 we get in some areas that got out a little bit later due to some some rain early so it's all over the board we're going to have some guys that uh, are going to be able to get in early and and start taking some stuff off take advantage of that early basis but we've got some other areas that are going to be maybe a little bit delayed and that kind of seems like the 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 tail of the state this year right we've got a lot of variation across everything so it's hard to pin pin anything down it's hard to hard to pin a yield number down harvest timing, anything, um, because we've got so much variation. So it's probably gonna come out and uh, the law of average is gonna say it's gonna be average. We're probably gonna have an average crop as far as yield because there's some guys that are gonna have some pretty good yields and there's some guys that are gonna be unfortunately short. Um, so it's gonna come out average. And same thing on on time of harvest. We're gonna have some stuff be able to run early, but then we're gonna have some stuff that's probably gonna be pushed a little bit later than than, than normal.
0: And we saw those comments echoed in the pro farmer report a couple weeks ago that there's some 200 plus, there's some 150 south and across the state once all the variation the peaks in the valleys average out we're going to land around that 165 bushel mark. So hopefully our listeners are in the neighborhoods where or we're still swinging for 200 but we know there are some areas that that aren't going to have the crop that we were planning for. So uh, finally as we wrap up our conversation today One of the exciting things about harvest besides our own crop and and seeing how well things turned out for us is also looking at the brand new hybrids that are in our test plots for 2021. And I know we've spent a lot of time walking plots in the last 30, 45 days evaluating the new hybrids for 2021. What are a couple of the standouts for you that guys ought to be on the lookout for as the yield data starts falling in uh, during harvest?
1: Yeah, so we've got a a really strong lineup uh, moving forward. Uh, A lot of good uh, current solid products, you know, products like 6357 that's been a a standout across several growing seasons, not only in test plots, but in growers fields as well. 6357 looks uh, like it's gonna have a tremendous year again. Uh, But then we've got some new products coming in, like 6465, 114 day product that uh, looks like it's gonna gonna start ringing the bell and uh, is gonna start pushing some of our current products pretty hard for yield. And then we've got some exciting products as we move a little bit earlier. Um, so we need to move in the northern part of the state, some products like 5327, um, 5235 that have tremendous punch for some early hybrids um, that is gonna help start raising that yield ceiling as we move sub, sub 105 day. Um, so it's it's an exciting time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to get test plots out and start seeing uh, what the combine says versus what my notes and, and calculations are. But it's, uh, it's gonna be a pretty exciting fall. The nice thing is for for us we're gonna have stuff across a wide range of yield environments wide range of weather patterns which helps us really nail down how product is going to perform
0: year in and year out absolutely and uh, the extensive testing that we do there's chances are there's a test plot in your county or somewhere close and the next three weeks while we're getting geared up and ready for harvest is still a fantastic time to uh, to get with your local rep, your local retail seller, and, and look at some of these plots and do some pre-harvest evaluations. And then after that, we're just going to let the combine sort it out and tell the story, right?
1: Yep. Yep. We'll know, we'll know here pretty soon,
0: uh, soon how stuff's going to play out, not only from our own, own plots, but uh, new products across growers' fields as well. Well, Roy, I've appreciated the conversation today. Always good to visit with you. Any closing thoughts as we wrap it up?
1: I just want to make sure uh, everybody keeps uh, keeps safety uh, top of mind as we head into harvest. It's a time where uh, you know, a lot of long hours and a lot of uh, stressful, stressful times uh, gets ahead of all of us. So just uh, be safe out there and uh, want to make sure that we finish harvest with as many uh, people and as many limbs and
0: body parts as we started with. Yeah, that's for sure. Great reminder. Thank you for that. I've always got to keep safety top of mind. Well, that will be it for our visit today. Roy, thanks for sitting down with us. Uh, You've been listening to the Ohio Agronomy Roundup. We'll talk to you next time.